Welcome to the Antioch Sheffield podcast. We are so glad that you can join us for today's message, which is brought to you by Pastor Todd Roberts. For more information about Antioch Sheffield, head to our website at antiochsheffield.org.uk. Good morning, church. Good morning. It's good to see you all today. Anybody uh, eager to get to this afternoon's match at all? Several of you, yeah? Okay. (laughs) All right. Well, when I was in my final year at uni, I encountered the presence of God in a way that changed my life forever. At that time in my life, I was going through a really dark patch, and I was, I think, battling a bit of depression. I was really lonely. I was um, experiencing a lot of doubts about my faith, as often happens with university students who've grown up in church, but then, you know, you go off to university and you encounter all kinds of different viewpoints. And as, as I was wrestling with all of those things, I, one day at, at lunch, I saw a guy that I had seen in one of my courses, and I struck up a conversation with him. And that conversation took an unexpected turn, and, and he ended up kind of re- somewhat reluctantly telling me how he had been supernaturally healed of some very serious illnesses a few years before. And I was intrigued by this, and I started asking him questions because here was tangible evidence of God in somebody's life. And, and, and he said, well, listen, why, why don't you come over to my family's house uh, one night, and, and, and you can ask more questions about this. And he lived with his family there in the city. So I was curious enough to say, okay, I'll go along. And, and, and so a few nights later, I went out to his house, and I met his family, and they were a lovely family. They didn't seem like the kind of like, you know, crazy family that would exaggerate things or make things up. And, and they confirmed uh, my friend's story. And in fact, the guy who had prayed for him on that occasion was actually staying with him. He's passing through town and was staying with their uh, family at the time. And so I got to hear his side of the story. And as we concluded dinner, they said, hey, we'd love to pray for you as well. And so I was curious enough. I thought, what do I have to lose? And, and so I said, sure, let's go for it. And it was the most unusual prayer time I've ever had. I'd never experienced anything like it. But when it was over... Even though I kind of sensed that maybe God was doing some stuff in the middle of the prayer, I, I, I felt, I was disappointed because I pretty much felt the same as I did before and was disappointed by that. But the following night, um, I was up late watching telly and uh, yeah, I'm a night owl. Anybody else a night owl in here? A few of you? Yeah, okay. Uh, thank you, fellow night owls. I was just kind of <laughs> for, for joining with me there, but I... Um, I was up late watching telly. I think I was watching a nature documentary, like, you know, um, all cool uh, uni students do in the middle of the night, but whatever. I was watching a nature documentary, and suddenly I got the urge to pray. And that was unusual for me at that time. And, and I, but I thought, well, what do I have to lose? And so I got on my knees on that couch, and I, and I began to pray. And, and the first few minutes was, was fairly mundane, just, you know, normal prayer, but, but I but then the most amazing thing happened. The presence, I don't know how to describe it except but to say that the presence of Jesus began to fill the room. Now, I didn't see him, and I didn't hear him, but somehow my spirit knew, oh, he's here. And, and, and I, all I can say is that it felt like I felt something physically that I'd never felt before. It was, it's hard to describe. 
but it was like a, a, a tingling in my chest that felt warm and cool at the same time, and, and I felt joy well up within me. And I felt, uh, I've heard one person describe his encounter, another person describing his own encounter with the presence of God. He said it was like liquid love. I would say that's a good description. Uh, I, I felt peace. I felt joy. I felt life just coursing through me. And in that moment, I realized that the prayers that, that my friends had prayed for me the night before were being answered, and the Holy Spirit was allowing me to encounter His presence in a tangible way like I'd never encountered Him before. And in that moment, all my big questions that I had been wrestling with were answered. Is Jesus really who He says He is? Is the Bible really true? Are my sins really forgiven? Is heaven a real place? Am I actually going to go there one day? Is that for real? All those questions were in an instant answered. Not because I'd, I'd figured it out. Not because I'd you know, heard a brilliant argument or something. But because I had experienced the answer for myself. And then something else happened that I wasn't really expecting as I was sitting there just enjoying this joy that, that, that I'd never felt before and, and enjoying the presence of God and just suddenly feeling like this heavy weight had been lifted off of me. I, 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 I just, I, I don't know how to say it other than I just began to speak in a different language than one that I knew. And I was like, what is this? And I realized, oh, this is what the Apostle Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians where he lists out the spiritual gifts. This is the gift of tongues. And it sounds, I know that can sound weird to a lot of people if you've never been around that before, but it wasn't out of control, it wasn't this ecstatic utterance, but I realized this was the Holy Spirit giving me a gift to use in my prayer life. It was without a doubt the happiest night of my life, and the fruit of it was good and it was long-lasting. I mean, I was never the same from that point forward. The, the depression that I had been experiencing just lifted. I, I, I was just, it was replaced by joy and a love for Jesus that I had never had before. And I remember thinking at the time, where has this been my entire Christian life? I mean, I've been raised in a Christian home. I'd given my life to Jesus when I was eight years old. I'd done my best to follow him. I'd been to countless church services, heard countless sermons. I had been to youth groups and Christian summer camps. And, 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 there were, and all those things were good and they were a blessing to my life. But nothing rivaled the experience of being in God's presence. And I've come back to that experience over and over again in the years since then. You know, when people ask me why I'm a Christian, I honestly go back to that night and I just think, well, I've experienced the truth of it. When I read about or hear skeptics, uh, you know, arguing against Christianity, I just remember that night and I'm, and I'm like, I've, I've experienced the presence of God. When, you know, when, when my own doubts begin to surface sometimes, I'm like, oh yeah, I've experienced this. This is real and no one can take it from me. You see, one encounter with God can change everything. One encounter with the living God can do more than 10,000 sermons could ever do. 
or hours spent in worship or Bible study or prayer or, or uh, uh, counseling, you know, and those are all good things. We need all those things, but one moment encountering the presence of God can just do so much more than any of those things ever could. And, I, and, as I, and, and that's why I want all of us to be able to encounter the presence of God for ourselves. And after the year that we've been through, which has drained us of our resiliency, of our, it's drained us emotionally, mentally, physically, it's, it's drained us spiritually in a lot of ways, we need more than anything else right now a fresh, uh, the encounter with God's Spirit to refresh us and to restore us and to renew us. And so that's why we're beginning this series today called Pursuing the Presence of God. And my hope and my prayer is that it's going to help you realize what's possible. That it's going to stir up a hunger and an expectation that's going to car- cause you to, to carve out space in your life and posture yourself to be able to experience and encounter God's presence. I want it for your sake personally, but I also want it for us as a church, because when a whole church starts going after the presence of God, extraordinary things happen, and and not just the church gets changed, but the wider community gets changed. It's happened over and over again throughout history, and we'll be looking at some examples of that, of revivals uh, that have happened both here in the UK and around the world, that, that where God's presence has touched a community and it's changed it in powerful ways. But first, let me define what I mean by the presence of God, because Christians, we use that phrase a lot. If you've been around church before, you hear us talk about God's presence, but but what does that mean exactly? What, What do we mean when we talk about the presence of God? It can be hard to define because... Our, our experiences with the presence of God can look dramatically different from one person to the next, or even, you know, I'd say my experiences with the presence of God vary wildly, you know, in a huge way from one to another. But I think there is a common element, and it's this. The presence of God is when we become unusually aware of God's proximity to us. You know, most of the time, we're not aware of God's presence, but, but there are times when we suddenly are allowed to just be, we have a greater awareness of it. And, and it might be something dramatic like what happened in uni, or it might be gentle and quiet. But in those moments, we're, we're just becoming aware, oh, God is here. He's, he's near right now. And it's, it's not that he wasn't there before, it's just that somehow our hearts are more aware of him. And that's what we talk about when we say, I experienced the presence of God. Now, throughout this series, we're going to be looking at different ways that we experience God's presence so that you can recognize it. We're going to be talking about kind of what that, what that looks like, how you can posture yourself and position yourself to receive more of God's presence. But what I want to do this morning is I want to lay a foundation for everything else we're going to cover in this series by tracing the, the theme of the presence of God throughout Scripture, so we're going to do a lot of, we're going to do some Bible study this morning. You guys up for some Bible study? Yeah. All right, good. I was hoping you'd say that. If you didn't, this would be a very short message. Um, but we're going to look at kind of a broad theme and trace it throughout Scripture. Now, normally I don't like to do that when I'm preaching. I like to focus on one passage and really dig down deep into it. But I think sometimes it's helpful to kind of pull back and look at the, the meta-narrative or the big-picture view 
of what the Bible teaches about a topic. And so that's what we're going to do together. And the best place to start is where you normally start with any story, and that is in the beginning. So we're told in the first three chapters of Genesis a lot. We're given, it, it's, it's told in such a way that gives us a lot of information about um, how God designed the world, how his intention for it, and what happened, and how we find ourselves in the world that we now live in. I mean, you can really spend a lot of time in the first three chapters of Genesis uh, and, and just letting that inform your worldview and how you see and interpret life. But in those first three chapters, what we see is the way that, God, that, that God's intention for humanity and, and, and his desire for how he would relate to them. We see God relating to Adam and Eve in a very personal way. It seems that he would come and walk with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day in the garden. And this was, this was a normal thing for them, and, and they, they, they just, this was a part of just being alive, was, was actually going for these walks with God and walking and talking with Him, and that's really God's desire for all of us. But then the fall happened. You know the story, Adam and Eve, they chose to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which God had forbidden them from eating, and when they did that, sin entered the world, and what happened is sin created separation from God, and it created separation from one another, and uh, it describes it like this. It says, at that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness, so they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. So their nakedness represents their innocence, their purity, and all of a sudden, Sin enters the world and they feel shame for the very first time. And so they, they, they sew fig leaves together. And what it does is it creates a barrier. And it creates a barrier between Adam and Eve where there was no barrier before. And it creates a barrier between them and God for the very first time. And God became someone to be feared. They had this instinctive knowledge that, uh-oh, God is not safe anymore. And look at what it says next. It says, When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. They hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord called to the man, Where are you? So suddenly, they're, they're afraid of God. They know they need to hide from God's presence. And, and of course, you know, God's asking this question. It's not because he doesn't know where they are. <laughs> But you got to hear this as the cry of an anguished father who's lost his children, whose children have, have gone astray, and he's saying, where are you? And his heart is broken because he knows that that perfect harmony that they'd been enjoying had been lost, and that their union uh, had been separated, and, and, or union had been broken, and they were now separated from God in an irreparable way. But there's something fundamentally that, that happened at the fall that I don't want you to miss here, and it's this, that, that not only did man become separated from God's presence, but, but God's presence went from being a delight to being dangerous. Now, why would God's presence be dangerous? Because God is holy. Now, we've lost the concept of holiness in our culture. It's just, it just sounds like a religious word. It's not something we value or pursue. You know, you don't have to talk to too many people who are saying, I just want to become more holy. <laughs> you know, we're pursuing, you know, we're pursuing money, we're pursuing appearance, we're pursuing all kinds of things, but we don't really pursue holiness in our culture. 
But if we're wanting to become more godly and more Christ-like, then, then we're on a journey of holiness, uh, towards holiness, because God is holy. And His holiness is perhaps the most remarkable thing about Him. It's His defining characteristic. In Isaiah's, I mean, remember Isaiah in chapter 6, Isaiah has this vision of the throne room of God, and he's, he's there, and there's, there's God seated on His throne, high and exalted. It says the train, of his temp- the train of his robe filled the temple. In other words, he's just seeing the glory of God. And he says around them, there are these angels that are called seraphim. And they have six wings each. What a crazy idea that would be. But they have six wings, and they're flying around God, and they're just saying the same thing over and over again. They're saying, holy, holy, holy. And it just goes on and on and on. And right now, Do you know what they're saying in heaven? Holy, holy, holy. And this isn't just vain repetition. This is because they are astonished by God's holiness because I think uh, these angels, they keep seeing different facets of God's holiness and they're, they're overwhelmed by it. They're mesmerized by it and they just, all they can do is say holy. I love how the, the guys from the Bible Project, they define God's holiness this way. They said, the holiness of God is a term used to describe both his goodness and his power. It is completely unique and utterly all-powerful. His holiness, like, is, it radiates out from God like an energy. In fact, God's holiness is so overwhelming that it can actually be dangerous to approach. So God's holiness is a good thing, but it's also problematic for us because uh, because sin cannot exist in the presence of holiness. And therefore, as sinful creatures, we can't stand in God's presence. It would kill us. And that's why God had to withdraw his presence from Adam and Eve. He could no longer relate to to humanity the way he once did. And, and, And from that point forward, there was separation between the presence of God and people. The whole story of the Bible is how that connection, that presence is restored. And in the very final chapter in Revelation, we read that this is fully and finally accomplished. He writes this, he says, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. That's God's desire, and that's where we're headed back to, is, is literally dwelling with God just as Adam and Eve did in the garden. And the story of the Bible, as I said, is the story of how we get back to that place. It's paradise lost to paradise recovered. Now, there's a lot that we could talk about as we look through the scriptures, uh, but, but see, see, God wasn't content to just say, well, okay, you guys blew it, so I'm just going to stay here in heaven, and you guys just figure it all out. No, he's saying, I still want to interact with you. It's like maybe somebody's gone off to prison, and you still want to see maybe your loved ones in prison, and you still want to see them, so you take those visiting hours once a week or once every two weeks, or, you know, and you talk through the glass and, and, and something like that. So, so God still wants to encounter us. He still loves us. He still wants to be with people. But now there's this problem because his holiness would would kill us if we actually got to be in God's presence in the way Adam and Eve originally were. And so God, but God's not content to just kind of leave it that way. So he just initiates 
with people. And, and particularly, we see this through the story of the nation of Israel, that he adopts this people as his very own, and he finds ways to interact with them. And the one example that I want to give you comes not long after God delivered Israel from slavery in Egypt. And as they're making their way towards the promised land, God gives Moses, he downloads to Moses these instructions. And he's saying, Moses, I want you to build a tabernacle, which is like this big tent that, that would serve as a mobile temple as the people journeyed from Egypt to the promised land. And if you read through Exodus in the second half of the book, you find that God gives some very detailed instructions about what the tabernacle uh, was, how it was to be constructed, how it was to be operated. And, and it looked like some, something like this full-scale replica in Israel that's, uh, that somebody's uh, created. And in the foreground there, you see what would have been the altar where people would bring their sacrifices and then there's the, the, the sea, as they call it. It's like a ceremonial washing area. And then in the background, you, you have this tent that's called the sanctuary. And the sanctuary inside of it is divided into two rooms by a big curtain. I think we've got another picture of it here. Um, and in this, in this tent, you've got the holy place and then the curtain. And then behind it is the most holy place or the holy of holies. And what was amazing about the Holy of Holies is that the Jews believed that God's presence literally dwelt in some way in the Holy of Holies. And that's where there's only one thing in the Holy of Holies, and that was the Ark of the Covenant. You remember the Ark, right, from Raiders of the Lost Ark? Now, we're not going to take our theology from that film, but at least you know what it is, right? So there's the, you know, we, we do know from that film, like, you don't touch the Ark, you don't do things with the Ark, Right? But the, the ark is there in the Holy of Holies, and nobody's allowed to go in there except for the high priest one day a year on the Day of Atonement, or Yom Kippur. The high priest would, would go through an, an elaborate uh, set of purification ceremonies and offering sacrifices for his own sin, and then he was allowed to, he would put on this all-white um, linen garment, and, and then he would be allowed to enter into the Holy of Holies to make atonement for the nation. And he had to carry before him a, a uh, scepter, I believe it's called, of incense. And so he's carrying this thing before him because the smoke rising from the incense would block his view of the glory and the presence of God. And it says that if he didn't do that, that he would look on God's glory and it would kill him instantly. So he's got the incense before him, and then he goes in, and he, he, uh, he puts blood on the mercy seat, or the Ark of the Covenant, to atone for the people's sins for the year. And every year, they would do that over and over again. And, and this, it brought about just temporary forgiveness for the people. And this is the pattern that the Jews followed for centuries. And it shows God's desire to be with people, but it also shows how dangerous it was to actually be in God's presence. But God wasn't just content to leave humanity in this temple structure with sacrifices and offerings. He wanted something better, and that's where Jesus enters the picture. Remember the title that Isaiah prophesies about Jesus. 700 years before the birth of Christ, Isaiah gets this download from the Lord, and he prophesies that God is going to send a Messiah, and this is what he says about him. He says, look, the virgin will conceive a child. 
She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And we talk about this verse a lot at Christmas, but, but the significance is that this was Jesus' mission right there in his title. It's God with us, the presence of God. For the first time since the garden, mankind and God are relating face to face. And then if you skip ahead to the beginning of John's gospel, we get this interesting allusion back to the tabernacle. John says, so the word became human and made his home among us. And that phrase that's translated here, made his home, is literally translated tabernacled. So that verse could be translated, so the word became human and tabernacled among us. John is trying to, for his early readers, they would have immediately made that connection that that John's referring back to that tabernacle that Moses constructed. And, and, and And it's talking, helping us understand the significance of why Jesus was here and his purpose. And that is, he is our great high priest. He is the one who's, who's dwelling now among mankind. And suddenly, we're allowed to access the presence of God in a way that hasn't been experienced since the garden. And of course, by the time Jesus was on the scene, the, the tabernacle was gone. They had, the Jews had constructed a temple in Jerusalem. as this beautiful, ornate, incredible structure. But it used the same design. And in the, 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 the holiest area of the, the temple, there was a sanctuary. And it was divided into two rooms, a holy place and the Holy of Holies. And what's fascinating is when we read Matthew's account of the crucifixion of Jesus, we're told that something extraordinary happened in the temple. It says this, Then Jesus shouted out, so he's on the cross, he's dying in this moment. Jesus shouted out again, and he released his spirit. And at that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two, from top to bottom. There's probably an earthquake that happened, and it tore the veil, the curtain, in two that separated the Holy of Holies from the holy place. And the tearing of the curtain illustrated what Jesus had just accomplished for us on the cross. So because of his atoning sacrifice, Jesus erased this barrier between God and man. And because of what he did, we have uninhibited access to God's presence. No longer are there barriers between us and God, and no longer do we have to rely on a high priest to kind of go and intercede for us so that we can be forgiven. Now everyone has access to the Holy of Holies without fear because Christ has cleansed us of our sin. Now I don't think we appreciate (laughs) what a significant thing this is. I mean, what would have killed us before we now have access to every day. And the writer of Hebrews comments on this, and he, he says this, And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter the heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God, with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Do you see what's happened here? You see that the illustration, see that the temple was just pointing to what Jesus was going to one day accomplish. 
And Jesus has made it possible now to, to go into God's presence without fear, without uh, worry. You know, it's no longer dangerous to be in God's presence. It's now a delight. That's amazing. That's amazing. And I love that it says that we're invited to let us go right into the presence of God. Let's just walk right in there. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to do these rituals of purification. We don't have to offer sacrifices. We don't have to have religious duties and be a good person. We just, we, we, we can walk into God's presence by our faith in Jesus and what he's accomplished for us. His blood has cleansed us from all sin and unrighteousness. And therefore, we can be in God's presence without fear. I don't know about you, I think that's pretty awesome. Now, Christ dwells in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. I mean, that's why he said, he said, listen, I'll be with you always, even to the very end of the age. But it's not because we've got the temple or the tabernacle that we're, that we're dealing with. It's the, we don't have to go to the temple to be close to God or be in his presence. We have become God's temple. Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. He's quoting from Ezekiel and Leviticus, and he says, For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will live in them and walk among them. I will be their God, and they will be my people. So the presence of God you know, that, that, that whole concept, if you'd have told this to somebody in the Old Testament, the Jews would have said, no way, you will die if, you're, if, if God were to dwell in you. His holiness can't abide with your sinfulness. But yet, it's an everyday reality for us as followers of Jesus. What a reality that this is, you know, that, that we can actually live in God's presence. And I realize I just flew through a lot of scripture there, but I feel like it's important for you to see kind of the, the narrative of, of God's presence and how we were separated from it, but through Jesus, it's been restored to us, and we can enjoy the presence of God anytime, anywhere. So here's my question. <laughs> the question that I was asking that night as I encountered the presence of God in such a powerful way, why does our experience not match up with this truth? I think for the vast majority of Christians, these are all nice stories, and this is good theology, but it's not necessarily your experience or your reality. So, so why does our experience not match up with this truth? I mean, why is it that I could have been a Christian for, I'd been a Christian for 13 years at that point when I experienced this, and why is it that I had not had real experiences with God's presence? And really, that's the question that that this whole series is designed to answer. But there are three things I want to say today before we close. First of all, the presence of God can't always be felt. You know, just like many things in Christianity, we have to receive this truth by faith, first of all. It's not by feelings, you know. Uh, the, the, the truth of something isn't always measured by how much we feel or experience it. This is kind of an unpleasant example, but but I think we're all aware that you can, uh, have, you can have COVID but be asymptomatic, right? You can totally have the virus, you can pass it on to others, and yet you can be feeling fine and dandy. Just because you're not feeling sick doesn't mean that you don't have it. And it's the same with God's presence, except in a much, much, much better way. <laughs> we can have God's presence whether we feel it or not. 
Just because you're not feeling anything or experiencing anything doesn't make it not true. So some of us, we just need to trust God's word over our feelings. And that's hard for us. In our culture, we weigh everything by what we feel. But sometimes things, our our feelings and our experiences don't line up perfectly, and that's okay. We trust God's word over our feelings. But the second reason I think we struggle to experience God's presence is that we're not aware of what's available. We're not aware of the fact that we can experience God's presence in a physical, tangible way. God is more of an intellectual concept than an experiential reality. And so if we're not hungry for the presence of God, if we're not anticipating the presence of God, if we don't know what experience the presence of God looks like, then it's super easy to miss it because we're not even looking for it. So if you've never experienced the presence of God in a tangible way, then what I want you to understand this morning is that there is more of God available to you. There is more available than what you've experienced. And, and there's, there's something that, this is something that you can actually ask God for when you're praying. Like say, God, I want to experience more of your presence. I promise you that's a prayer he loves to answer. But finally, I think one of the reasons that we struggle to experience the presence of God is that our spiritual sensitivity has become dulled. And maybe it's been dulled by sin. Maybe it's been dulled by, uh, by disappointment with God, or it's been dulled by the constant busyness and noise of our lives and the, the, the pace of life that we live in nowadays. It could be dulled by the fact that, that we turn to uh, uh, things like food or alcohol or drugs or, or entertainment or all these different things to distract us from the, the pain that we feel deep inside. You see, all of us, I think we have an, a latent memory deep in our hearts that we're not even aware of most of the time that longs to be back in the garden where we were experiencing unbroken fellowship with God and we know something's missing, so we try to fill it up with all these other things and it dulls our sensitivity to God and to his presence. So the question is, how do we resensitize our hearts to God? How, how, do we, how do we get back to that place where we can be aware of God's presence on a much more continual basis? Well, I think it starts by simply slowing down. I read a quote this week that I really like, that I think is true. It's, um, it's by Kerry Newhoff. He says, love has a speed, and it's slower than you are. Love has a volume and often, it's heard best in the quiet. You can also, he's using the word love there. That is the presence of God that he's describing. The presence of God has a speed, and it's often slower than you are. The presence of God has a volume, and often it's best heard in the quiet. So, so what does that look like, practically? Well, let me illustrate this by talking about what God's been doing in my life recently. Um, you know, the day after I came back from America, I, I got up and was praying um, this is about a month ago now, just doing my normal prayer routine. And I sensed the Spirit of God say to me, just stop. Just stop. And I was like, what? <laughs> and I felt like God said, listen, I just want you to be still and receive from me right now. Don't do anything. I just want you to receive. I want you to change your posture from praying for all these different things to simply receiving from me. And that was, 
a bit disconcerting, but, but I decided, all right, well, if, if this is what it seems like God's saying to me, I should probably go with it. It's usually a good idea to, to do what God is telling you to do. So I just stopped. I dropped my normal prayer routine, and, and I just, and what I'm doing right now is I'm coming into God's presence, and I, and I just simply say, God, I'm here to meet with you. I'm here to receive from you this morning, and I'm just going to be still and know that you are God. And I just kind of get where I can be quiet and undistracted, and I just kind of focus on my breath, and I practice what's known as contemplative prayer. And it's really simple. You just focus on breathing in, and as I'm breathing in, I'm envisioning just that I'm breathing in the love of God and the presence of God, and as I breathe out, I'm just, just responding to Him. And it takes a while because I'm used to having a lot of noise and chaos in my life, or noise, you know, just all the, the distractions of you know, things like your phone and the notifications that come in, or just all the worries and cares and anxieties. And it takes a long time to settle down and actually focus on God's presence. And actually, I don't always get there every day, but, so, but when I do, there's just a peace that settles over me. And that's the presence of God. It's not big or dramatic. It's so quiet. It's such a whisper that if you're not looking for it, you could easily miss it. And as I'm there, just quieted down, what I, what I sense from God is just, or I become aware of all the barriers that I've put up between myself and the Lord, or the things that block me from really connecting with God. And it's things like what I call the fixer in me. The fixer is very interested in everything that's going wrong in my life and trying to resolve those problems. It might be problems at work, it might be problems at home, it might be, you know, things that I'm upset about politically or things that are going wrong in the world or COVID, and, I, and there's something in me that's just constantly trying to solve problems. And I sense God saying, hey, listen, just lay that down for right now. You can pick that up later if you want. Right now, I just want you to receive from me. But I realize that I'm, I'm constantly, rather than really connecting with God, I might be praying about things, but really I'm just trying to solve a problem. And it's things like that that actually form barriers between me and God's presence because really anxiety and worry are what's in control rather than just simply receiving from God. And we need to receive from God in His presence right now. So slowing down allows us to receive and to resensitize our hearts to God's presence. So to close today, um, I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up, and we're going to take some time just to slow down. <laughs> and while, the, while Jack plays in the background, I just want to give God some space to speak to us. And I want you to be able to practice this a little bit and simply receive. And I realize that for some of you, this may feel really uncomfortable. Being silent for some people is deeply unnerving and disturbing because we don't do it very often. And thanks to our phones, we have like a constant distraction that goes around with us everywhere we go. And we don't, we're not used to just being still. We're not used to just pausing and letting things settle in our spirits so that, so that we can connect with God. But I want to encourage you just to take even two minutes here this morning and let things slow down and let God, and let his presence minister to you. So I'm going to pray and invite God to come and to resensitize our hearts to his presence. And, and you may feel something this morning, or you may not. But let's believe that if you're willing to actually just open your heart up to him today, that he is going to do work, whether you feel it or not. All right? So let's, if you could just close your eyes, bow your heads.
Father, I thank you for your desire to be with us. That you didn't just abandon us in our sin, but, but that it has always been your desire to be with us. Thank you for sending Jesus to make that possible. That, that Jesus, you've removed every barrier that stands between us and God so that we can experience your presence. And Lord, I thank you that your presence isn't just a theoretical concept. It isn't just a truth we agree with, but it's a reality we can experience. And Lord, we just receive this truth today that we can come boldly into your presence with sincere hearts, fully trusting you without fear or shame. And Lord, we thank you for this truth that we can go into the Holy of Holies. That every person can go there now. We're not relying on some priest to go intercede for us. And so Lord, I just ask this morning that you would actually encounter us this morning. That you would allow us to slow down and experience your presence. And Lord, I ask that you would increase our sensitivity to you. Here this morning and throughout our week, increase our sensitivity to your presence. It may be while we're reading the Bible or spending time with you. It may be uh, while we're out for a walk. It may be while we're having a shower or cooking or something like that. Lord, we ask for encounters with your presence that we're not expecting. But no, Lord, we ask that you would help us to slow down and receive from you. So we're just gonna pause here for a minute and if you could just maybe kind of draw attention to your breath right now. I'm just gonna practice what I was talking about and, and as you breathe in, I just want you to just say, okay, it, it's like God is saying, I love you. Son, daughter, I love you. Just take deep breaths in and receive that from him. Sometimes I'll use the prayer with my breath, Father, I belong to you. you're in this place, you may feel peace. That's the presence of God. You may feel heat. It's the presence of God. You may feel joy. You may become aware, like I did, did of, of things that are standing between you and God, the, the things that are dulling our senses to him. as we're in this place, I just take a few more moments here. I just want you to ask God a question. Father, 
What do you think about me? Don't second guess what you heard there. In all likelihood, the very first thing you heard was what God was saying. We have a tendency to think ourselves or talk ourselves out of it. But God can speak to our hearts and his words are full of encouragement, full of life. So Lord, as we as a church learn to pursue your presence, God, would you, in the days and weeks ahead, take us into a, a greater experience of your presence in our lives. And may we be a people who are marked by your presence, who are changed by your presence, because Lord, one encounter with you, one experience with your presence changes everything. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening today. To listen to more messages like this one, head to our website at antiochsheffield.org.uk forward slash podcast. We are looking forward to seeing you soon.